0: Skull Rock Podcast, talking all things Disney with your hosts L. John Go and Dave Bossert.
1: Welcome to another edition of Skull Rock Podcast, where every week we talk all things Disney and pop culture with never-before-heard stories, behind-the-scenes moments from all your favorite. Disney films and movies, theme park attractions, performances, books, and much, much more. I'm your co-host, musician, longtime Marvel, Disney, and Star Wars pop culture aficionado, Aljon Go, And you can contact me at aljon, A-L-J-O-N, at skullrockpodcast.com.
0: And I'm Dave Bossard, artist, filmmaker, author, and welcome to our podcast. Uh, If you love Disney and pop culture, please subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast platform, as well as like and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn. Uh, you can also email me at Dave at skullrockpodcast.com. Well, Al John, another week has gone by, and uh, I'm excited about this show. As I, I am every week that we do the show, I'm excited. We yeah, have a great guest coming up.
1: Absolutely. Um, author Barbara Abercrombie, a uh, prolific writer and uh, great the child children's books writer and, and and she's got a brand new book. Uh, called language of loss that we're going to talk about here in a little bit, plus some writing tips for aspiring writers out there. And uh, regardless of whether you want to write professionally or if you just want to journal your life or you know tell stories, I think this is going to be a great episode for you.
0: I really do. I think I think it's going to be inspiring. But uh, before
1: we get to that, uh, how you been? Everything good? Yeah, everything's good, Dave. You know, I I think um, you know, there's light at the end of the tunnel i i am so looking forward to getting vaccinated and to rejoin the world of the living and, <laughs> and yes, but with we, we,
0: we we have to get to the back of the line. We need to let all these sports stars and celebrities go before us <laughs> because I, they pay more taxes. I, I mean, you know, know, for crying out loud, <laughs> forget about my ninety-year-old mother in in New York. Oh. You know, let's let's get Charles Barkley uh, vaccinated. Uh, exactly. You know? Well, I mean, you know, Lord honestly, knows he pays he pays so much in taxes. Yeah,
1: all all of them. You know, all the all the sports stars. <laughs> honestly, it, it it is funny to sit back and just watch and just kind of laugh foot off because we all need a good laugh every now and again we, we, we do we do we absolutely uh, that's probably the quote of the I, week. I, I guess
0: i guess if our show was big enough and we had a private jet we could fly to florida and get vaccinated right away
1: <laughs> no doubt let's do it let's just <laughs> let's charter that jet right now i say let's charter the jet and let's uh, load it up but i we've got uh, uh some news and some great anniversaries we're celebrating as well and um and we have some notable people uh, that have passed away over the, this past week, and uh, we definitely want to honor them and tributize them. But let's go ahead and get into...
2: Skull Rock Podcast. Ripped from the headlines. It's Skull Rock Podcast Headline News.
1: Disney nixes bonuses for the top execs as it details the 2020 compensation... Uh, I don't know about you, Dave, but uh, as much as Disney has still maintained to, to kind of, you know, make money during the era of the pandemic, um, you know, I, I, I'm sure that this is a drop in the bucket. I think I could live off, <laughs> off of uh, what they're throwing down in terms of uh, their, well, their annual salaries.
0: You know, Al, John, look, I, I, I think, you know, this, this was certainly the right thing to do. I mean, they've had to furlough and lay off so many people, but they still need to have uh, leadership uh, at the company. And yes, they're getting paid big salaries. But you know what? I think they're worth their weight in gold. In I fact, so. I'd put I'd put rocks into their pants pockets to weigh them down when they're weighed to get their gold. Yeah, uh, exactly. You know what I mean? It, well, yeah. it, it's like they they you you can't you can't you know get rid of the captain of the ship, uh, 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 you know, during a storm. Uh, you need to have solid leadership in place and that leadership needs to be paid whether you think it's too much or or, or whatever your opinion
1: is the fact is it's driven by the marketplace these exactly. these guys are good leaders exactly right I think they're great leaders and uh, great leaders for a company because not only do they helm the ship but they take the they take the most risk. You know, to the to the people that take the most risk, where their neck is on the line, um, and everyone's livelihood depends on the different decisions that they make to benefit the company. Um, yes, the, those who take the most risk uh, are the ones that should be compensated properly. Um, and in this in this news article that you shared uh, with me, Dave from Hollywood Reporter. The company says that in light of the company's circumstances this year, all of its top executives would forego their bonuses in addition to salary cuts announced last summer. Uh, Chapek, who was elevated to the role of CEO in February, has been with the company since 1993. That is a great story in and of itself. Uh, and has previously worked as a chairman for Disney Parks. I thought uh, Chapek did an amazing job uh, at parks uh, and products since 2018. And the compensation package for his most recent fiscal year totaled, get this, million reflecting the challenges of the pandemic and overall pay package that's smaller than Iger's. Now, when you talk about Iger's most recent fiscal year, he amounted to 21 million compared with 24 or uh, 47.5 million for the previous uh, fiscal year. And um, wow, Uh, uh, you know, uh, that is still a a substantial chunk of change, but of course, this this makes complete sense uh, in light of what we just said, you know?
0: Yeah. And, and by the way, there was another little news uh, article that um, put the spotlight on Bob Iger and his wife uh, will obey because they donated $5 million to the business community to help uh, small businesses in Los Angeles. Uh, So, you know, look, Uh, Regardless of what people might say about some of these salaries, uh, I maintain that uh, these guys have done a fantastic job, especially Bob Iger. Um, I I mean, he he has been at the helm of the company for for a decade or more and has done an incredible job uh, uh, bringing, bringing some incredible franchises together. Uh, you know, he, he's responsible for bringing Pixar into the fold for bringing star Wars into the fold for bringing Marvel into the fold. And, uh, you know, Disney's a powerhouse because of it. So, uh, and, 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 you know, Al John at the end of the day, it's
1: about making sure the company survives for the future. Exactly. Right. And, um, the, the moves that they're making have all been great moves, and at least, in my opinion, in terms of the, the, the value proposition, what they, they bring to the fans, uh, I think it's great. And uh, let's just keep it up. As long as the quality of storytelling is still there, the, the quality of content still there, I say yeah. let's just keep them in.
0: Hey, listen, the shareholders should be very happy because the stock
1: price is way above where it was before the pandemic. And better than it was initially expected to perform, all things considered.
0: Absolutely. Um,
1: yeah. Well, what, how, what yeah. else do we
0: have going on here?
1: Well, you know, the L- lots more delays. Yeah, that's the, what we have. This is true. So Friday, uh, a bunch of titles from the 20th Century Studios Searchlight in in, in there, uh, both all I guess uh, arms of the the Disney brand now, uh, were shifted out of the half uh, half of the year. Uh, the king's man um, which was moved from march 16th to august 20th the animated family film ron's gone wrong has been pushed from april to october bob's burgers which is based on the fox franchise animated franchise um, has been taken off the release calendar altogether so once again it's affecting not only all the disney projects but all of the movies uh, that are coming out and so, yeah, this is—it's it, interesting, and not only that, but there's also uh, there's been some effect, maybe, maybe, to big films, Dave, and and you know. The, the James uh, Bond film. I,
0: uh, uh, all I can say is that uh, "No Time to Die," uh, the next James Bond movie with Daniel Craig, has now been pushed again. Uh, it was original uh, originally supposed to be released uh, in April of 2020. Then it was moved to November of 2020 from from november it was moved to april 2021 and now it's been pushed into fall of 2021 uh you know look i, I i'm disappointed uh but uh, this is a double-edged sword for me because i really want to see that movie but i want to see it in a movie theater so <laughs> uh, and uh, i'll just have to wait another six months before i get to see it but uh that's okay uh i'd rather see these movies uh, shuffled a little bit and pushed out further. Uh, There's going to be an incredible amount of tentpole movies in the fall, I think, hitting the theaters. And I plan on seeing them all, Al John, (laughs) in a movie movie theater, in a movie theater. And I'm also, I I think it's worth noting that uh, AMC Theater Chain has uh, gotten a financial lifeline. A big uh, institutional investor has uh, um, helped them out financially financially to keep them as a going concern so that they can get their theaters back open. Hopefully by the summer, I would think, Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, hopefully there will be a summer season uh, in the, in the
1: movie houses. I hope so. You know, there's also rumors that the black widow may also be pushed back as well. Um, you know, it, it's slated for May 4th, the first uh, weekend uh, of the blockbuster season. And who knows uh, when, when, if that's going to happen or if they'll push it to more of the summer. And there's a bunch of uh, Marvel movies. You know, you've got Black Widow. I think you've got the Spider-Man movie coming out. Um, you've got the Eternals coming out in the fall. So they may just have to push a bunch of things back. But I, I'm like you, Dave. I want to see them on the big screen soon uh, when it's all safe and 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 people have been vaccinated. That's the goal and I hope the theaters can bounce back because there's nothing better than the communal experience of watching a movie with a bunch of like-minded people that, that uh, want to see it.
0: Uh I agree with you, and I think they will bounce back big time. I think people are so cooped up in their homes that they can't wait to get out. I think that we're going to be in the roaring 20s by September, and uh, people are going to be out and about all the time, going to the movies, going out to eat, going on vacations, going on cruises, you name it. Uh, People are just wanting to get the heck out of the house. Speaking about getting out of the
1: house... How about what
3: Disney Imagineers have created is pretty spectacular. I mean, when I first
1: joined, I was going to say, "How about Tom Holland and uh, the the uh, the whole Avengers campus at Disneyland? When is that going to happen?" I, I I'm hoping by this summer too that's going to happen um, because Tom Holland has basically uh, uh, been sharing. What he's been up to with this new attraction, uh, the Web Slingers, the uh, Spider-Man adventure over there at Disneyland. Have you seen any of this? No, I haven't
0: haven't seen any of it. Let's play a quick.
1: Let's play a quick. quick, uh,
0: quick Spider-Man,
3: I went to Avengers headquarters and it was just a bunch of green screens. So the fact that there's actually going to be a legit place where people can go and visit is pretty awesome. So I'm just super excited to share this with the fans, but also experience it for myself. Peter Parker has started an initiative called Web which is the Worldwide Engineering Brigade. And he is giving a presentation on this new piece of tech that they've invented, which is the Webslinger vehicle. And he's gonna be giving people a tour and something goes wrong, and he needs everybody to help him out to save the day. For me, personally, that's the most I've ever felt like Spider-Man. So everyone is gonna to get to share that experience, which is so awesome. Uh, so I'm just really excited for it to open, and I wanna go and ride it again with all the fans.
1: So, this, attraction this little uh, teaser for disneyland a disneyland resort looks absolutely amazing not only do you get to be in a ride vehicle um for the web experience but you put on the 3d glasses and it looks like your hand gestures are tracked so that you could fling a web in in the same way spider-man does in order to help him uh you know with, with the, the treachery the villainy that surrounds you in this 3d experience and uh that's something cool. It looks really neat, it, and it showed behind the scenes of him in the green screen, kind of uh, making sure that you're all situated in the pre-show. Um, just really cool stuff. But I'm hoping soon we can all go to Disneyland. <laughs> I'm telling
0: you, at some point, yeah, you know, yeah, at some point they 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 have they've stopped talking about when. Yeah, uh, it's it's you know ho-
1: hopefully there will be a summer at Disneyland. Yeah, I hope so as well. Something that I've been hoping for for a very long time is the Muppet Show. Uh, a huge fan of the Muppets, uh, my wife knows how much of a fan I am of of the series. Back in the seventies, uh, she's bought three three of the the seasons on DVD for me when it came out. But we have not been able to see uh, the Muppet Show uh, on Disney Plus. But it looks like it's coming in February. And it's all five seasons. So the two seasons we've not been able to get on Blu-ray or DVD, it's now going to be February 19th. You'll get to see all of it. And I was watching uh, this morning with the kiddos, uh, the Muppet movie, and it's still so entertaining. Probably the best use of cameos ever in any movie I've ever seen in my life. That's like the king of cameos is any Muppet movie. And the, the wonderfully done stuff that they did in the elstree studios in the uk when they uh shot this it has a a lot of just adult sensibility that i loved about the muppet show i loved the muppet show as a kid because of the muppets and the characters and the colorful skits and the stuff that they did the musical numbers uh because variety shows have kind of fallen by the wayside these days um just just the way they wrote the show is so entertaining as an adult on so many different levels. But anyway, I'm excited about The Muppet Show finally coming to Disney+. Plus. Do you have any fond memories about The Muppets, Dave?
0: I, I just love The Muppets. I, I love The Muppet Show. I, I you know, I love Jim Henson uh, and, and those early years with The Muppets uh, when he was on, you know, he was doing guest appearances and whatnot on variety shows. Mm-hmm. Um, who doesn't love The
1: Muppets? No.
0: i I mean you gotta love
1: it honestly better than any late night talk show right now and i have to say even the reboot muppets tonight um during that whole arsenio hall era uh when they rebooted the muppet show better than what you can find tonight or any any day of the week um some of my favorite guests on the show mark hamill of course is amazing uh elton john um uh, Alice they, Cooper they, for Rock they, and Roll. They used to get everybody. They, got they, everybody. they would get, I mean,
0: just amazing guests on that show. It's just fabulous. Yeah. And, and I always loved the two old guys up in the box Sattler <laughs> and Waldorf. You know? <laughs> yeah I mean, absolutely just
1: fantastic exactly the 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 quips that they make are are great they are the king of the cutdowns uh statler and waldorf but anyway uh looking forward to that so uh be on the lookout for it february 19th i will be waiting and i can't wait to check out those seasons another thing you can check out too is the soundtrack for wandavision and it appears now that uh, you'll be able to get all the great music uh, for the episodes as they're being released for um, the soundtracks you can find online uh, right now. And the music is absolutely amazing. If you've not checked out the, the, uh, the WandaVision show, they go throughout different decades of, of sitcoms. And the music is a reflection of that, the latest one, without spoiling it, is very much inspired by the late 60s, early 70s, Brady Bunch style uh, music by Duvall, which is, you know, very, uh, very funky in its own right. But uh, I love the music of WandaVision and now you can listen to it and they're all on various social media platforms as well as Spotify, Apple Music, etc., Pandora. So uh listen to it. Uh, have you, have you been able to binge I, at least the, the it, list? It, it's
0: on, it's on my list. I, I haven't gotten to it yet. You know, um, I just finished uh, the six and a half seasons of the Sopranos. <laughs> oh my Lord. <laughs> uh, I, I just rewatched the entire series. Wow. Um, uh, but I, I, I'm, you know, taking this opportunity to watch a lot of different things and uh I've got News of the World teed up. Uh, We're going to watch that tonight, uh, the new Tom Hanks uh, film. Uh, But uh, there's so much stuff out there. I mean, I guess I could just sit in front of the TV morning, noon, and night watching stuff. And I I
1: fortunately can't do that. Um, I've got too many other things going on. I know, right? But it is nice to kind of relax. I mean, the wife and I do the same thing. I mean, we we end up we're right now binge watching uh ID network uh Evil Lives here which is about uh, you know it's all about the it's all about uh you know uh, we love horror and serial killers as part of that uh and because my wife also wanted to be a profiler for the FBI we always gravitate toward these mysteries kind of you know uh, exposés on on infamous people and um we've been binge watching that We're we're like season seven right now. So um, it's, it's fascinating, but once again, it is interesting to see, you know, all the different content that Disney plus is putting out and the music for is amazing. I can't wait till the season's over. We're seemingly halfway through because I believe there's like six or eight episodes left or I'm sorry, mm-hmm. not the episodes left, but total. So uh, this is great. So, uh, so listen to that. One of the last pieces before we move into some of the celebrity happenings um, is high school musical Turning 15. It's It just
0: in. seems unbelievable to me, uh, you know. I, 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 it, it doesn't seem like it was 15 years ago, but boy, wow, time has flown.
1: Absolutely. Time has flown. I remember going to the parks after my wife and I were married, and it was high school musical all over the place at Hollywood Studios. The high school musical uh, float would come by, and everybody would be dancing to all this great music. And I have to give props to Kenny Ortega, who had directed... Uh, the high school musical and a bunch of different things all the way up to the descendants and how catchy this music is and how well produced it was and to once again take the trope of boy boy meets girl boy loses girl boy finds girl again uh, which is the same trope that happened in Greece that happened in West Side Story that happened in Romeo and Juliet but just modernized for a whole new audience with this great music It's really hard to believe it's been 15 years because it seems like only yesterday. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. And, uh, and, and there's a great uh, interview um, with, with those uh, looking back at the 15th anniversary in variety. So please check that out. Uh, Vanessa Hudgens looks amazing um, uh, today. She looks amazing today as she did 15 years ago. I have to just put that out there, but uh, the next thing uh, and just kind of a, a little bit more of a somber note we had a lot of celebrities that have recently uh, died over the weekend. Um, we did. We did. It's it, it's kind of sad. Yeah, it, it really is. And uh, we had Gregory Sierra from The Barney Miller Show and Sanford and & Sons passed away. He played at, Julio in, Fuentes. Yes, yes. On Sanford
0: and Son, uh, that's man. Right. I, you know, when I saw his picture, Al John, I, you know, again, this is the magic of uh, uh, of uh, film and television. You you remember these people uh, uh, from those shows? Uh, they're a they they don't age, you know. And I was shocked when
1: I saw that he was eighty three years old yeah it is shocking to see these people because you you look at those are just uh, snapshots of their life um you know and he's been in a lot of different tv shows regular work uh, character actor and um yeah he had a very
0: good career very long career very long and and like you said continuously working he was he was in a lot
1: of stuff absolutely so if if that wasn't enough uh, we also had a Babylon five. I uh, being a science fiction guy. Um, I watch Babylon five a lot. Uh, Mia Furlan of Babylon five and lost by the way, dies at the age of 65. Uh, very sad indeed. Um, and uh, uh, Michael uh, J. Straczynski—I Skry- uh, you know, had the hardest name saying that, but uh, the uh had uh, put a little uh, posthumous, uh, um, tribute to her and uh, what a talented actress and you may not know her but you look her up and she once again has has worked so much uh, um, in tv and film over the years but um, it is a, a sad loss especially for Babylon 5 fans because she was integral to that series but uh, one of the titans one of the greats uh, speaking of talk shows earlier Larry King passed away at the age of 87
0: um, you know, what, what an amazing career he had. And, you know, I, 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 saw a little clip of him talking, I think with Mike Wallace on 60 minutes mm-hmm. and he said uh, he was just a guy that asked questions. That, that's how he viewed himself. He was just curious and, and he just asked questions, which,
1: which was absolutely, uh, he did so well. Yes, absolutely. And uh, also uh, a gentleman that has quite a career in playing himself in a bunch of different cameos. One of my favorite was ghostbusters, uh, where he was interviewing, you know, ghostbusters, uh, in the, in the thing and, uh, in the film. But, uh, once again, yeah, he just, Larry King live mainstay of CNN, um, great interview, great talk show host. And I, I think, you know, in the latter part of his, of his career, you know, thing, things were kind of slowing down for Larry, but, uh, there's no doubt that, um, uh, you know, he is a talk show giant. He will be missed. Uh, in 89, the Guinness World Book of Records credited as king of ha- having racked up more hours on national radio than any other talk show in history. Wow. And, yeah. That's so, something else. And that's what an accomplishment. Yeah, that is prolific. So Larry King, uh, we will miss you and uh, rest in peace. Speaking of resting in peace, we uh, have a great guest, uh, Dave, to lead off. Yeah, we've got Barbara
0: Abercrombie, the author of her 16th book, The Language of Loss, is, w- is going to be with us. And I got to tell you, I'm excited. I, I love Barbara. I think she's an incredible individual, a wonderful writer and a fantastic instructor, teacher. She was a teacher of mine at UCLA uh, we well, Let's get to it. I, I really don't want to keep her waiting any longer. I mean, holy mackerel, this is going to be a lot of fun talking with her. Skull Rock Podcast. Interview time. Well, Al, John, I got to tell you, I'm very excited about our guest today, Uh, author Barbara Abercrombie, who I I have to tell you, I've been looking forward to this interview for weeks and weeks. I can't I can't tell you. Um, uh, Barbara was one of my instructors at the UCLA Writers Program. She is an accomplished writer. She has published novels, children's picture books. She's uh, put out 16 books. She's edited books. She's an incredible writer. She some of her recent books, "A Year of Writing Dangerously" and "Kicking in the Wall," both published by New World Library, were chosen by Poets and Writers Magazine as two of the best books for writers. And I got to tell you, I've written, I, I've read both of them, and uh, they're wonderful books. Uh, and so I just really want to welcome Barbara Abercrombie author extraordinaire to the show. Hi, Barbara.
2: Hi Dave, hi Al, John. Thank you for that introduction. Thanks for inviting me.
0: Well, you know, I have to tell you, Barbara, uh, I uh, really have enjoyed reading a year of writing dangerously and kicking in the wall. And you have a new book out called The Language of Loss, which we're going to get to in a little bit. But I really want to talk and ask you a couple of questions about how you got into writing, like. When did you start writing seriously for publication?
2: Oh, for publication. I started writing when I was six. And, um, but for publication, I started writing seriously in my 20s. And I wasn't a natural writer. I wasn't a particularly good writer. I, you know, I didn't know what I was doing. I had dropped out of college to become an actress, but I really wanted to write. And I went. Back to school, I went to a community college in in Southern California and took writing classes. And I just became obsessed. And um, I've written many, many, many books, and many, many of them have not been published. But um, basically, writing and teaching, that's just about all I know how to do. And fortunately, I love doing it. so.
0: You know, I, I have to I have to say, like, uh, you know, from my own experience, because I've written some books. Um, it, it You've been it's, a lot, Dave. You've <laughs> many, many
2: books. But,
0: but thank you. But but I have to say, you know, uh, for me, I started writing later in life. And, and, and I don't know if that's true for a lot of writers and maybe you can speak to that a little bit because I, you, know, you always hear that everyone has a story or everybody has a book in them that they have to put out at some point what, what are your thoughts on that on on people writing I think
2: you're- Everybody does have a story. You know, I used to teach, I've taught all different genres at UCLA. I've taught writing picture books and novels, and and now I I, I teach nonfiction, memoir, and personal essays because Everybody cannot write a novel. Writing fiction is just a very peculiar sort of talent to have. But I do think everybody does have a story. And I love teaching because everybody has a personal essay, at least one. Um, I don't know if everybody has a book, but I love teaching personal. I feel more authentic and honest when I'm teaching personal essay and memoir because they They do have their, everybody has their own story and it's exciting to, to um, kind of guide people into writing it.
0: Yeah. And do do you feel as though um, uh, most people come into writing classes uh, all jazzed up because, you know, their mom said they were a good writer or their partner said they were a good writer and then they kind of peter out? Uh, No,
2: no, I don't find that. They come to class terrified. (laughs) They're so nervous. And um, and some teacher had read, you know, little red comments all over their school papers, and they've had disastrous experiences reading their work to family. So people are really scared. And then I find in classes and workshops, they get encouraged by each other. I find people who want to write absolutely wonderful, um, and I'm astonished every class I've ever taught how generous people are towards each other. they can be very honest and generous at the same time. So then they get revved up, I think in class. So it's just, I think it's the opposite. I don't know. did you have that experience? <laughs>
0: You know, I, I've, I've seen, you know, in some of the beginning writing classes that I took at UCLA, I saw people come in and they, there were a few people that, you know, were all jazzed up, but by the third or fourth class, they disappeared. They didn't come back. And, and, and my view of it was that, that some people thought it was going to be easy. And I find writing really hard. I I mean, I I do think it's hard. I mean, I think you have to work at it to get good. I mean, isn't that true? You know? Uh
2: (laughs) <laughs> Do you have to work at it? Let me tell you how many times I rewrite my books.
0: I know. How many times
2: I can rewrite a sentence. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Um,
2: yes. And I, I've had a couple. I had one student once say that she didn't read because I maintain you learn how to write. You don't learn from teachers. You learn how to write by writing and reading. Mm-hmm. And she said, well, I don't want to. I don't like to read. And I said, why on earth would you want to write then? Um, so, um, I, I, I think writing, the only reason you write is because you love books so much and you just so want to put your story out there and, um, you know, you have to be a little obsessed to write because it is hard. It is very, very hard. It
0: it seems kind of odd for somebody to say that they don't like to read because, you know, if you don't like to read then why are you writing books? You want people to read your books. If you're not willing to read right. other people's books, right. that, that seems a little odd, doesn't have it?
2: we have only had one student in all these years. <laughs> that,
0: that is the most who bizarre. Is you, who that is, is your so best bizarre. student? Who is your best student, right?
2: Oh, who was <laughs> my best day? Of course. Of course. You, I think you are my student who has written more books than, and it wasn't because of me. You came already published many times. Well, you
0: know, I, I, that is true, Barbara. I mean, I, I had a book published before I actually ever went into the UCLA writers program. And, and now I look at that first book and wish I could rewrite it. And maybe someday I will, you know, because I think I'm a better writer now having gone through, uh, the program, uh, and, and taken all those classes, you know, I got two certificates from UCLA's writing program. How
2: many books have you written?
0: Um, oh, seven or eight. eight, eight, eight. Pretty good. Yeah. I, and, 100%. and two of them, two of them have uh, uh special editions where I, I went in and made some, you know, changes and whatnot. So, uh, but yeah, no, I, I, I feel very lucky and I think I'm, I'm sort of a, a very odd story. I mean, you know, well, it, it kind of dropped into my lap.
2: Well, like you've worked hard. You get lucky when you work hard.
0: I, I, I think I I think there's a certain amount of truth to that, but also it's about writing what you know, right? Isn't yes. not isn't, isn't that half the battle? You know, you you sit down and write about your own personal experiences,
2: right? Unless you're writing fiction,
0: mm-hmm.
2: and then yeah. I maintain that's why I don't teach writing fiction anymore because people come to fiction you would come to fiction classes and say this really happened to me, but I don't want to upset my mother, my father, my spouse, my kids, you know, I want to write it as fiction. And I say, um, write it as a memoir, write it as a memoir then, because I think the whole joy of fiction is you get to put on costumes and masks and be somebody else and get out of your own skin and and live and, and imagine stuff. Sure. You know, and if there is a basis, you know, I always have to write about the geographical location I'm in to write fiction, but it'd be very boring to write about myself in fiction because I, I write a lot about myself in my writing books and that's, that feels different.
0: Well, with, with the, some of the writing books that you've uh, uh, published, um what prompted you to do that i mean uh, were those an outgrowth of your teaching uh is, is is that you write the book you need to read that that, that that's very true actually that was you know? it. i mean yeah.
2: i i i have suffered with writer's block i don't write easily i've gone through a number of years where I tried a whole other profession because I thought I just, I am stuck. I can't, I can't do this. And I felt so inauthentic in this other work I was doing. And I thought, I don't care what happens. I've got to write. And I went, and eventually, you know, it all came back, but I write books about that because um you know, I, I love, I love people who want to write and I really do want to help people get, you know, it sounds a little Pollyanna-ish, but that's, you know, I really do want to help people get their story out.
0: No, but I mean, the writing, is, I mean, there's a community there. I mean, yes. you know, one, one of the things I, I really have enjoyed over the years was um, uh, Al John Barbrook uh, hosts uh, what's known as a lit salon. And, and it's really just, she's inviting a bunch of writers that she knows to her home on a, on a Sunday morning. And, um, you know, there might be 25 or 30 people that show up and she has 10 slots for uh, 10 people to read for five minutes of something that they maybe are working on there. It's a work in progress and they get to stand up and read in front of a group of people. And oh, I've read, yeah. uh, I've read some, some bits uh, at those lit salons. And I've also shown up and just listened to people uh, um, uh, reading uh, something that they're in the middle of working on. Some of it very fascinating, by the way. Yeah. Um, I love and, it, and, yeah. and but it is a community, isn't it?
2: It is, David. Don't you feel it's sort of a love fest? I mean, people yeah. really—you know—strangers come in and everybody welcomes them, and yeah. there's a real connection. You know how that started? My, my husband died six years ago, and we had a—you know—a house, big house, and I—I I thought this house is so empty. I've got to fill it with, with you know, we have a lot of kids, but I, I really wanted. I needed a lot of people around me at that point. So I called up, I don't know, 10 X student, previous students and, and, and current students. And then I also, um, and any writers I knew who lived, lived nearby and just said, I'm going to have a potluck, come bring some food, bring a bottle of wine and read, read for five minutes. And then it started growing and it grew. It's what, in the, as soon as this pandemic is over, we will go back to it. And, um,
0: which I hope so. And, and by the way, I never attended the uh, lit salon when you were living on the West side of Los Angeles. Um, I, it was it was always one of those things where I think you did it on an evening during the week. I
2: did Wednesday evening.
0: Uh, and, and I just could not battle the traffic to get over there. It was just wow. too crazy. But, but now that you do it on a weekend and you're doing it over in Pasadena, yeah. it, it's just so much more convenient and, uh, and I've I've tried not to miss any of them. I, I, I think I've been to most of them. But I, one of the things I enjoy is when you do read a piece, um, uh, like you said, there's strangers there. There's people you don't know. And uh, accomplished writers, uh, and for one of them to to give you a nod afterwards, or come over to you after the readings are done and say, "Wow, I really enjoyed that piece uh, that you read," I, I find that you know it, it, it's uh, it, it's charging. You know, it, it yes. kind of charges your batteries. Yeah. You right. right. oh, I
2: love that. Yeah, I think that's that's one of the my, I, that's one of the joys, pure joys of my life doing that lit salon once a month.
0: Now, how how often do you sort of sit down and say, "Oh, I'm going to go do a book," or do you have a list of of things <laughs> you want to write about and say, "Oh, I'm going to do this book," and then move on to this next one, or how does it, that work for you? What's the, what's your process?
2: Tony, my process changes. Um, when i got, I started writing very seriously when my daughters were babies and I would go into the kit. I was living in, I was living in Palos Verdes and um, I felt very isolated because there were no other, I didn't know any other writers or um, artists or creative people. And um, I would go into the kitchen every day at one when my girls went down for a nap and I'd set my kitchen oven timer for one hour and I would tell my girls, you cannot open the kitchen door, you cannot get out of your cribs until you hear the timer goes off, unless you're bleeding. If you're bleeding, you can come into the kitchen. And I'll take care (laughs) of
0: Because
2: he took it very seriously. So that was my one hour and then they started school and then I'd write while they were at school. And then it's interesting when your kids grow up and, and go off into the world, you suddenly have a lot of time. and um, you could have two, it's sometimes it's good to have, a be stricter, you know, it's like, it's like playing tennis with a net, you know, you're, you're more disciplined when you have a shorter amount of time. So now the process is a little messy. I also teach and I don't like to write on the days I teach. So um, I don't know, Dave. <laughs>
0: Well, you know, what, you know what it is, Barbara, I think everybody has their own process. It's yeah. like being an artist. You know, if I, I was, you know, an artist at the Disney company for, you know, better than 30 years. And, you know, I always get people saying, you know, how, how can I do this? How can I get a job? How can I become an animator or whatever it is? And, you know, there is no right way, I don't think, um, you know, to to paint a picture, to write a book, uh, to to draw a picture uh these are these are things that you develop over time uh, and you certainly you want to read uh, books that you've written on like you know uh how to uh get through writer's block and and be inspired uh by by those kinds of books but ultimately you're going to do your own process exactly um,
2: figure it out how to fit it into your yeah. life and live you know, it at I, the same time
0: I have to say, I, I often laugh sometimes because, you know, I, I take some woodworking classes uh, every summer up in Maine. I I always like to take classes and, uh, and I would, I would always smile sometimes because you'd have, you'd always invariably have somebody come into the class who had never done woodworking before, but boy, they just had the killer toolbox of like the best chisels and everything. And they were all set to go. And uh, and I, I often see that with uh, people who are, you know, wanting to learn how to paint, they go out and buy the best stuff, or uh, I had somebody ask me, you know, what do you use to journal with, you know, cause I, mm-hmm. I write every day. In fact, I'm, I'm going to hold up my, my composition notebook right yeah. here yeah. Uh, that I write in every single day. And some of it's, it's mm-hmm. gibberish, it's garbage, it's whatever is in my head, I'm writing stuff down but somebody said to me what kind of a journal should I get you know and I'm like don't go out and buy a leather bound thing with you know a $300 pen I said you know go to Walmart and get yourself a composition book for 49 cents and and a a big pen that's all you need you know so
2: exactly I get those three those three whole um, notebooks, college lined, and you can get them at the market. And it's not a big deal. And a lot of, some of my students have given me beautiful journals and they intimidate me. And I, you know, you don't want to write something and then have to tear it out because, <laughs> um, so I use them for quotes from other writers or recipes or something. But yeah, I absolutely agree. There's no, just, just the Thing is
0: to write every day. It's to just sit down and do it. You know, I think one of the best pieces of advice I th- I read was from Stephen King. Uh, he has a book called On Writing. Oh, it's a I wonderful. It's in a wonderful book. He yes. wrote it after he was hit by a a, a car up in Maine, uh, and he was convalescing. He wrote that book, and uh, and he he basically says you got to just sit down at the desk and do it. Yeah. Get to work, you know,
2: and, and get stubborn. I think stubbornness is more important than talent. You know, just being so stubborn that you don't give up. I've been, I'm writing a memoir now and I've been writing it for six years. And at one point my, my agent liked the writing and she said, but you don't really need the second half of this memoir. And then she said, Oh, and all this stuff about the house, that's not working. And so and she's so smart that instant I realized she was right. I cut out half the book, cut out the house certain things about a house, and I went back to work and I've regenerated my excitement about the book and I'm just, you know, maybe it's going to take me another six years, but by God, I'll finish that book one way or the
0: other. <laughs> <laughs> That's fantastic. Well, let, let's get to this latest book that you put out. And, and I want I want the audience to know that I was honored to be able to actually read this as a PDF in advance of the, uh, yes, I was part of your launch team. Uh, Uh, And I was able to read this book as a PDF before it actually came out. And I had pre-ordered it anyway. Uh, And I've got it right here, my copy, which I'll I'll bring to you at some point to have you sign for me. Uh, But it's called The Language of Loss, Poetry and Prose for Grieving and Celebrating the Love of Your Life. And I just thought this was such a timely Book. It came out last November, and you know, right in the midst of this terrible pandemic we're in, and and before um, before we went on the air for this interview, you and I chatted, and I was telling you how I've sent out, you know, Nancy and I have sent out a number of uh, condolence cards for people that we know who have passed away, uh, several of them from COVID. Uh, and, and I just thought this, I read this from cover to cover and I, and I thought to myself, I wish... That this book was out like seven or eight years ago uh, when I experienced some some family loss. Um, what prompted you to write this? And and when did you you know what what, I'm always interested in the artistic process? I I I like, did you wake up one morning and go, I have to write this book, the language of loss? I mean, how did how did it come about to do this book?
2: That's inter- Do you know that's interesting because I just recently was reading an old journal of mine and it, it came up in my journal. I got the idea and I started writing about it in the journal. It came the idea came about a year after my husband died because I had I get through stuff by reading and when and I, when he died I couldn't concentrate on on reading anything long. I couldn't even concentrate on the newspaper. I could read, I wanted to read poetry because poetry cuts to the chase. And I really wanted to read just about people who had poets who had lost the love of their life, you know, their spouse or their partner. Um, And then it gradually went into, I started reading memoir too. And I I thought, I want to, I want to create a book, the book that I wanted, needed to read when my husband died and it would have poetry and it would have excerpts of memoir in it. So I, I spent about I don't know months or almost a year. It was sort of like a side project, and I would, and I, I would just find wonderful poems on, online, some stuff that hadn't even been published yet. One by poet Allison Josephs, who, whose husband had just died, and she was writing poetry to him on Facebook. And she, I mean, she's a published poet. And her poems were wonderful. And I got in, I befriended her and I said, "Could I'm doing, putting together a book. Could I use your poems? And uh, she very graciously said yes. Um, and then um, I wrote an introduction to it about a three, I guess it's a three-page introduction about how, what, what it was like. When my husband died, I became very, you know, this language of condolence irritated me. You know, all the euphemisms we use for death you know he had passed he was my late husband he was all you know all this stuff and I really yearned for real language uh the true language he had died and he was dead and he had vanished from the face of the earth and that was the hunger for reading reading uh, uh about the loss of someone you loved and lived with um that's what started the book, and then it took me—it took me, Dave, like two years to write that three-page introduction. Though, I—I
0: um, I, I loved it. I mean, I—I'm going to quote you here. My husband had not gone to a better place, as if he were off on a holiday. Yeah. He had not passed like a cloud, like clouds overhead. Nor was he my late husband, as if he had missed a train. I, 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 I smiled actually, when I read that because okay. I, I knew exactly how you were feeling, you know, when when people say those things to you, I think partly because they're out of they're, there's a loss of words for them. Exactly. Uh, uh, and they don't know how, but they feel compelled to say something, you exactly. know?
2: Exactly. And they mean the best. I mean, yeah. they, they, their heart certainly was in the right place, but we're so uncomfortable with grief. We are so uncomfortable yeah. with grief. I, one of the best things anybody did for me, a friend of mine, who's a, who's a dermatologist, she said, she'd call me and she'd say, she'd say, get ready. I'm coming over and I'm, we're going to go walk on the beach. And I'd say, okay, (laughs) and then she'd bring me something from Trader Joe's, like some kind of candy or or pink Himalayan salt. You know, but it was so wonderful. And somebody brought me a basket of books and a basket of comfort food and said, we're going to take a walk. And that that those were the things. But most people, it's hard. You don't know what to say. You know, you really don't.
0: It is. It's awkward um and, and again nobody nobody's nobody teaches us any of this you, you there isn't a you know when you're growing up and going to grade school there isn't a class on oh okay well you know here's okay. you're going to take a semester of grieving uh, because you'll experience this later in life and right. you'll 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 know how to handle it you know there yeah. isn't anything like that yeah
2: um, I hope this is one hope is that this would be used as a as a gift book too when you don't know what to say yeah you know you give them you give somebody this book which acknowledges is you know, the depth of your loss too, because the poems are not the poem. The, I just love the material I found for it. There's, you know, Mary Oliver is in it and Joy Harjo and just, and, and C.S. Lewis, just wonderful, wonderful writers.
0: Yeah. The, I mean, there's, there's familiar names and there's people that I had never heard of before. I think one of the things I love about this book is that you, and I keep it on my desk, by the way, since oh. I've gotten it, it's one well, of the few, nice. I mean, I have books all over the place, but so this is literally sitting on top of my, or sitting on top or underneath my journal, depending on the day. Uh, but what's so wonderful about this book is that you can pick it up and literally just flip it open to a page and read a poem, read a short passage, and put it back down. And I, I find it very comforting and uh, and uh, easy to digest. Uh, it's not like you, you can read it all the way through and I have read it all the way through front to back. Uh, but you can also just pick it up and randomly open it, uh, to a page and read a passage. And that, that, that's a
1: beautiful thing.
2: Thank you, Dave. Boy,
1: that makes me happy. That makes me feel good. Barbara, Barbara, can Can, I I chime in for a second? Go ahead, ahead, Um, Al John. I just want to say it's therapy. You know, it's good therapy because, um, you know and and you were talking about uh, Dave you mentioned the how people aren't prepared uh, to have that conversation with a friend or with an acquaintance about losing someone or even at the office it's super awkward and uh, this is this is great not only is it a great you know something that you can offer as condolences uh, for someone that has lost somebody but it is comforting it is therapeutic um, you know I never fully uh, I never fully, I'm still having trouble with it, actually dealing with the loss of my mom. You know, my mom died in 2013. Uh, She died really suddenly. And I still have, I still have issues with it. I still, I still deal with it. I don't think I fully really processed it, but the great news is, is that, and and it is a lonely, it is lonely, you know, and you also wrote a book about losing a pet. And those things, those things, those things, they touch you in such a great um, uh, profound way and knowing that there is comfort when you can't find the solace and comfort in others, you can pick up the book and kind of know, you know what? It's cool that um, someone has experienced this because it is a lonely place out there, you know, and when you can't find the comfort or the seek the comfort of others, uh, you can pick up the book and, and find some comfort in that. And I appreciate that. So thank you.
2: Well, I appreciate you saying that. Yeah, I think it is the company. I wanted company. I wanted company. And if you haven't gone through grief, you just there's no re, there's no understanding of it. And and I think you go through grief, um, and and but you will always miss the person. There's no closure. I hate that word closure. You know, like you know, that I say in the book, you know, closure is for roads, um, road repair, but right closure it's you will always miss that person you will always have things you want to tell that person uh, but i think the active grief if, if if you feel the you know when you feel the grief there's no going around it you, you know it's a cliche you have to go through it and um and then you're left with always missing that person but life goes yes. on. And I think also it opens I think a huge thing is that when you go through grief grief, your heart is open. You you expand. I think you you become a you, it changes you in a good way, in yeah. a very good way.
0: You know, uh, Al John used the term therapy. Um, I, I want to touch on that for a second because uh, in your experience with uh, the writing classes that you teach at UCLA, uh, do you feel like there's a lot of people that come in and want to write about, um, you know, uh, a, a loss in their life or uh, whether, whether that's, you know, the death of, of a loved one or, or the disillusionment of, uh, a, a, of a relationship? or a marriage or things like that.
2: Oh yes, yes, yes. And there's a, it's, it's writing, of course, writing is therapy. Reading is therapy. I love you that you brought that up, Al John, that reading good writers is therapy. But it's not how to. There are no steps. You just you just learn from the wisdom of others. And people in teaching, I always, you know, I say, okay, you know, your story it's going to, we're treating it as a story it's your story you lived through it but now we're going to craft it into a piece of literature we're going to craft it into a real story and so i feel for you know i i my heart is with you and i i i know what you've been through but now we're going to take it as a very objective story and work on it that way and I I I have a woman I'm teaching a master class in memoir now at UCLA and I have eight students and some of them have gone through horrific things and I had to say in the beginning I uh, my heart hurts for you but now we're going to get tough with the story and there's certain things you're going to cut out. There are certain things you're going to go deeper into. But yeah, there's always that, you know, there's no clear lines once again, Dave, between therapy and writing. Except in the end, you're writing the story for other people to read, not just to make yourself feel better. I heard a wonderful quote the other day. The other night I'm watching um, on, on Netflix uh, pretend it's a city with Fran Lieberwitz. And I recommend that. It's quite wonderful. And she was interviewing Toni Morrison and one of them said, I can't remember which that a book is a book, a mirror or is it a door?
0: Yeah, that's great. I,
2: isn't that wonderful? I've been yeah. thinking about that. I've going to write an essay about that or something. I just uh, love that. <clears throat> so. And, and,
0: yeah, I, I was just going to uh, say, when, when somebody comes into a class and wants to write that kind of a story, um, do most of those people get those stories published, do you feel? Or are they doing it really for themselves as a, 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 a way through it uh, uh, and out the back end, if, if you will?
2: I would say it depends what level class. To the beginning classes, I think it's sort of half and half, maybe. And I always encourage them to, you know, take a take an essay, make a personal essay out of part of your memoir because a book is is really hard to get published. And hundreds, thousands of them have gotten. I've been teaching a long time, have gotten their personal essays published, and a number, I quite a, you know, I I can't I don't know how many, but some. I would say almost one out of every class has gotten their book published one way or the other. That's awesome. With a a publisher or self-publishing.
0: Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, speaking of publishing, uh, let's talk about that for a little bit, if you don't mind. I mean, how has the publishing world changed for you over the course of your writing career?
2: It has changed by my first novel, Harper Collins, Bought. I mean, it wasn't my first one, but the first one that got published that my agent sold. I wrote 30 pages and a not a very good letter to my agent about the book, and Harper Collins bought it. Wow! Uh, yeah. Now there's no way, unless you're, you know, Joyce Carol Oates or somebody, that you can get away with 30 pages and a rambling sort of letter you have to you they want a they want a complete polished draft of a book a manuscript yeah they're looking for also when you know when i started writing there there was there was something called vanity publishing which was just you know people never you know only your mother would buy the book if you ban it you know you pay, you and they it wasn't cheap you paid a fortune and this company promised you all sorts of things and then they you know that you'd have I don't know 500 copies of your book for your mother um, now self-publishing or hybrid publishing there are so many different ways to get your book published and with the internet, If you self-publish, and there are wonderful companies now that will publish people's work um, and not cost an arm, arm and a leg, um, you have such a, if you have any kind of a platform, if you're, you know, what whatever you do in life, um, whatever line of work you're in, you, you know, would be your platform and you could, uh, you could sell it. You could do your own marketing online. And it's, so that's huge. It's, yeah, but
0: but don't you think authors uh, in general, I- unless you're Stephen King or, uh, you know, uh, top tier, yeah. uh, uh, don't you feel most writers uh, that are publishing uh, have to do, do all their own marketing and advertising yes. oh, anyway.
2: Oh yes. Yes. I
0: mean, that, that's a big part of, uh, of the business. It's not yes. just writing the book. It, yeah. It's actually getting it out and telling people that you've written this book and that they should read it exactly. and why they should read it.
2: Exactly. Exactly. And I'm, that's, that's a part, I call myself the marketing whore, but yeah. I'm very <laughs> bad at it. I, especially for this book, it sort of seems unseemly, you know? Yeah. Um, but I've got to get, I'm going to start launching my Facebook, whatever, and get get into marketing. But you do. You have to market. You have to bite the bullet and get over yourself and just go out there and sell your book. And, you know, we've got such an opportunity with the Internet. Look at we're doing an interview. I'm sitting in my office. It's Sunday morning, and we're doing... I
0: know, I know. And and it's wonderful, I think, you know, I I, think, I think think there's more opportunities for writers today than there may have been 25 years ago. Uh, There's more avenues for them to go down.
2: I think
0: so too. I do too. Yeah. Which, which is really a good thing. Yes. Uh, what advice would you give to um, a, a listener who has been thinking about writing something? I mean, where do people start? I know where I started, but where, where, what would you tell somebody who came up to you and said, Barbara, I want to write a book. Where How do I do that?
2: Well, I'd say
0: (laughs) sit down and get a
2: notebook and figure out what you want to write and why you want to write it. And I would also suggest that they get into a good workshop because I think we need, I think we need company. Um, I think we need other people. We need encouragement. We need to read our stuff and get feedback on it. But but here's the deal with a workshop: the minute a workshop um, makes you feel less than, than makes you feel like you, that you don't have enormous potential in writing, just get out of it. If people get snarky, if people make snarky little comments, this is not a workshop. This is a, some, you know, a whole other thing that you don't will not, you need to feel nurtured in a workshop. And you also need to feel that you're getting really honest feedback given to you in a way that doesn't, um, you know, cause you great anguish and despair (laughs)
0: <laughs> absolutely. I, I absolutely agree with that. I, I have to say, uh, when I started uh, taking the classes at the UCLA Writers Program, I, I felt very fortunate because I had been an artist for decades and I was used to getting um, uh, feedback on my work on a daily basis. And so I think I came into it with a little bit of a thicker skin that I could take and and also... Be able to recognize the constructive criticism from, you know, flip comments or things like that. And, and, and I think what's so great about being in a good writing program is the, uh, uh, the fact that there's rules for uh, being uh, decent in those classes and being supportive and finding the good things and giving constructive criticisms
2: Right, right. Because if you're, especially if you're, well, whatever you're writing, um, it can be devastating if somebody gives you feedback in a way that is cruel or unfeeling or too harsh. And I have never heard anything in my class read that, that, that couldn't lead to something else. And in a good class, other and, and people learn this in class. Other students learn this very quickly. I'm so proud of all my students because they, they catch on so fast that you figure out, well, what's good about this? You know, where could this lead or what, what is good about it right now? And then how and then the questions, you know, I'm confused about something or other or I'd like more of this or more or less of that. So um, it's. I would say sit down and write and get into a good workshop. And there's a lot of good stuff on online right now.
0: And you're teaching not only at UCLA, but you also do a class at Vramans Bookstore. Romans, yes, Romans, I do. I call it Vramans. Yep. Vramans. Yeah. Romans yeah. Bookstore in Pasadena, which I've given quite a few shout outs for oh. on our it, program here.
2: Oh, good. That's so good. Romans is wonderful. It's it's Pasadena's bookstore. I started a workshop there because I was moving to Pasadena and I thought, I want to know, I want to meet the writers in Pasadena. And it's grown into, it grew into a wonderful, wonderful group. And I, I miss them and love them and can't wait till I go back. It was a, a Saturday morning once a month and it was yeah. Yeah, but I'm teaching you, my UCLA class online now
0: too. Do Do you prefer uh, teaching in the classroom or online? What, what's your I, preference?
2: Do, I I had never taught online until last March when it was thrown at me. Um, I love teaching in a in person. You know, you pick up on. Just the,
0: the body language, the body language, body language, language yeah, and the, yeah.
2: and it's just it's just a real community feeling. But I'm surprised. I'm also living it online.
0: I oh, am. Yeah. Okay. I really am. Yeah. I,
2: I am, and everybody. I, my my current class, half are new people, and half have taken my classes for ages, and they've become connected. And one person um, is in is in the UK, so people can oh, yeah. be all over and take the
0: class. And it's, yeah. Wow. That's pretty awesome. Um, What, what do you want people to get out of the language of loss? Uh, I mean, you wrote this really because you felt like there was not a book for you. So you wrote the book you wanted to read. What, what do you, what's been the feedback and and what do you hope for uh, with this book?
2: I hope that it offers comfort and company to people that it offers um honest company because people don't there's a lot of flowery stuff written about grief and a lot of inspiration and steps and all of that. But I I I think to know that all our all the feelings you have in grief, which is guilt and anger, and I mean you just become a crazy person in guilt, I think. That they're not alone, that other people feel that. And so um, I, I, I'm heartsick that it's so appropriate at this time, but I hope, I hope it gives comfort. I hope it, it helps people.
0: Yeah, I definitely think it will. That's uh, th- this has just been so wonderful talking with you, Barbara. It's okay. it, it's it, it's been like a it's been a year since I've seen you. Yes. Uh, I, I know we traded emails online, but it's been a year. Yes. I, it's just hard to believe to me. It has, um, Al Don.
2: It's so nice to meet you too. I've absolutely. heard you on. I've heard listened to the podcast. Oh. So it's nice to, to, yeah, we're on Zoom and we can see each other. So it's <laughs> this is nice to meet. Likewise, you. Likewise,
1: absolutely. And by the way, I have to also say that your website Barbara Abercrombie.com has got some really cool just um, links and to some of your blog posts and just uh, letters of encouragement and just kind of you know what what you've done with your essays and things. So I encourage our, our listeners uh, that that love to write or want to learn more about writing to get insp- inspired. By some of the stuff you put out there um, with some of your links. So inspiration oh, or getting started you. or tips uh, on journalism or just by keeping a journal, rather. Uh, those are really cool things. I, I clicked through and read a lot of them, and I think uh, it's really good stuff. Okay, you know, thank you. Thank you.
0: I, I have to say, I I love journaling. Uh, I've been doing it for years and, you know, I've gone sort of in and out of it uh, over the last 40 years. But uh, for the most part, uh, I've been doing it consistently now for the last uh, 10 or so years uh, on a daily basis. And I just fill up these composition books. And I, and then when I fill one up, I put it up on the bookshelf and, uh, and start a new one. And I, I find it very, therapeutic, uh, just to it, it, you know, you can yell into your book, you can say things, you can say things in your journal that, you you know, really you shouldn't say in person to somebody or, you know, or you, you can vent and, 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 uh, and write down ideas and, and all of those kinds of things. Uh, I, I, I think it's such a worthwhile thing for individuals to do and nobody's, you know, I look at it as no one's ever going to read this stuff until after I've left this planet, uh, at, at which point I don't care, you know. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> right,
2: right, but that is therapy, and you can rant and you can whine and all that raw yucky. You know, you can put it down on the page, and then then you, if you use it in your real writing, then you start crafting all of that. Yeah. There you
0: go. Know. Yeah. What, what's the, what's next for you, Barbara?
2: What's next for me? I I feel so lucky. I'm just able to work and do what I love, teaching. I'll teach another. You know, my class, my master class goes until next June. Then I'll teach, start teaching another class in the fall. And um, I have some failed novels I want to go back to, and I want to finish my memoir. And I just keep writing and teaching, and I feel. I feel so lucky there's something I love to do so much that I've done all my life. You know, I've been writing since I was six years old and I'm still writing. So
0: it's amazing. Yeah, absolutely. Amazing. We're, we're talking with Barbara Abercrombie uh, author of her latest book, her 16th book, the language of loss, poetry and prose for grieving and celebrating the love of your life. Uh, I can't recommend this book more highly for anybody, especially during this period, because I think we've all been touched in one way or another by this pandemic. We know people who have passed away prematurely, uh, who are ill. uh, And uh, this is a book that will comfort the soul without question.
1: Thank you, Barbara. Oh,
2: thank you, Dave. Thank you, Al John. This has really been a treat. Thank you
1: absolutely. Hey, also big shout out to you at new world press and you can find the new, Indie, world,
2: library. new
1: world library, new world library. Thank you. Thank you. Yes. New world library. Uh-huh. And you can also check out the link, which we'll include in this show, indiebound.org. Uh, you can check that link out and you can purchase the book there or at your uh, finest bookstore, uh, right around the corner. Hopefully, uh, you'll be able to do that. And if you can't, uh, obviously online as well, but thank you so much for joining us thank you appreciate it i'm al john go co-host of the disney list podcast as heard on sorcerer radio as well as skull rock podcast here with my wife Kristen. hello hello you are an earmarked agent who books disney travel vacations for people all the time give our listeners a reason why they want to give you a call instead of just booking a trip by themselves
3: Well, I can do all of the legwork for them. I have expertise. I've been to the Disney parks well over 100 times, so they've got that knowledge at their hand, as well as it saves them time and money.
1: Where can people get in touch with you so that they can book their next Disney cruise, Disney park trip, Adventures by Disney?
3: They can contact me at theme parks and cruises at gmail.com.
2: skull rock podcast your weekly dose of pixie dust
1: what a great interview uh dave it's always nice to have your friends here what a delight
0: she she's absolutely lovely. Again, I just want to remind uh, our audience the language of loss poetry and prose for grieving and celebrating the love of your life. It's a fantastic book. This is a book that you'll read from cover to cover and I guarantee you'll just keep it on the nightstand or on a end table and pick it up periodically and just read a page read a read a poem. Uh, it, it's really a wonderful book. I have enjoyed it immensely. I wish she had written it like seven or eight years ago. Um, and it's available, uh, from the new world library, uh, is the publisher. You can get it really at any of the bookstores out there, your local bookstore, help them out. They can order this book for you. If you're in Los Angeles, certainly uh, Vromans in Pasadena, uh, uh, where Barbara actually teaches once a month or was teaching once a month and will be, I'm sure, teaching again once a month uh, once uh, things get back to some level of normalcy. But uh, I really enjoyed that. It it was a lot of fun catching up with her. Absolutely. Um, Absolutely. And, and, you know, Al John, we've got a lot of uh, guests coming up uh, in the coming weeks. Uh, I can tell you right now that uh, we've got uh, Kathy, animator Kathy Zielinski is going to be joining us, animator Dan Jupe. Uh, we've got, uh, effects, uh, animator, master effects animator, Ted Kiersey, uh, at the end of February, we've got a whole bunch of people lined up that are going to be coming on the show and talking about their own personal experiences, uh, how they got into the business, what they're doing now, uh, all kinds of fun stuff. Uh, I'm excited.
1: I can't wait. I cannot wait. Those sound like amazing guests. And once again, we thank you for listening if you've just found us for the first time thank you so much we'd appreciate a review give us a like of course subscribe and uh please follow us on all the social platforms out there uh instagram facebook twitter and if you'd also like to follow uh, dave and myself on linkedin you're more than welcome to do that and when you do just drop us a line saying you heard it here on skull rock podcast and uh, we'll definitely follow you back absolutely You can also email us, Dave, at SkullRockPodcast.com or Aljon, A-L-J-O-N, at SkullRockPodcast.com. We encourage the comments, the questions to to roll in, especially for our upcoming guests. So uh, please feel free to do that. Dave, any final words? I just would say to everybody, be
0: well, stay safe. The vaccine is rolling out. I can't wait to get my shot. Uh, I hope you all have a fantastic week ahead.
1: You too, Al John. Oh, thanks. I <laughs> appreciate that. <laughs> uh, until next time, please take care of yourself. And we'll see you next week.
3: I'm Kristen Hetzel, vacation planner, world traveler, Disney foodie, and theme park fan.
1: I'm Al John Goh. I'm the husband who's also Disney, Star Wars, and Marvel Comics fan. And together, we host a Disney List podcast.
3: Every week, you'll hear us list our favorite things about Disney theme parks, films, shows, travel, Marvel, and Star Wars in a top 10 list, rankings, and more.
1: That's an impressive list. Subscribe to the Disney List podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, or your favorite podcast platform. You can even stream us on Sorcer Radio at srsounds.com and check out our live shows on Facebook. The Disney List podcast. Visit thedisneylist.com.